Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's start with a story here. I thought we had a similar story at some point last year. Um, a blood test that uh, what potentially or actually detects eight different cancers at an early stage. Yep, this is a paper just out from researchers at Johns Hopkins University, which is in Baltimore, America. It's in the journal Science. Uh, Nick Papadopoulos is the lead researcher, and they call this Cancer Seek. What they've done is to come up with a protocol that means you take a blood sample from a person who might have cancer. The test that they've come up with looks for a clutch of proteins, which are chemicals, which are unique to cancer cells. It also looks for a slew of genetic markers because when cancer cells are growing abnormally, they spill DNA over into the bloodstream and you can detect this at very low level. When they put together the unique combination of the DNA signatures and these chemical protein markers, they can find about three quarters of the time someone who has cancer in its very early stages and because the system of markers they're using are unique to different tumour types, they can even tell you almost down to a one-in-two choice of which organ in the body to go looking for the primary tumour. And, and the critical thing here is you can do this very early for tumours like pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, esophageal cancer, which traditionally present quite late. So in other words, people have to have very advanced disease before it becomes obvious to them there's something wrong. And by then, you can't just do a simple operation to cure them. With this blood test, you could spot the people who are at risk, intervene very early and decisively and probably cure them before they even knew they had a problem with cancer. Hmm. Fascinating. Let's go to Parkhurst. Patrick, our very first caller today, what is your question? If the brain theory is correct with quantum physics, um, is it possible we, we're able to see supernovas explode on the other side of the universe? And we're able to see that because it's such a bright explosion. Are we able to see, would we be able to see the creation of another universe outside of our own, like a Big Bang, um, concerning uh, the brain theory, where multiple universes exist in like a flat plane? Right. Um, the, the thing is that with all of this sort of thing, we're in the realms of theoretical physics. And as a friend of mine who's a theoretical physici uh, physicist and cosmologist said to me, you have to be very careful with maths and theoretical physics because you can prove anything you like on paper. Uh, actually, the observation and the reality is a different matter. So it's really important to have, import to have good theories. It's really important to show that they're plausible and mathematically that you can demonstrate they could happen, but that does not uh, belie the observation and one has to go out there and measure things. Now, we can actually already see supernovae happening on the other side of the universe. And in fact, there's a telescope going to launch soon called the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the descendant of Hubble. It's the next generation of the Hubble telescope. It's going to be about seven to ten times more powerful than the Hubble Space Telescope. And this will take us right back in terms of its ability to collect light to some of the earliest events in the universe. The mirror 
that this telescope is going to deploy in space is the size of a tennis court, six metres across this collecting area. And this means it will be able to detect some of the faintest photons, particles or packets of light that we've ever seen. And this will mean that you can gather data about some of these supernovae on the other side of the universe that were going off when the universe was in its infancy. Now, in terms of us being able to see them uh, in other ways... Scientists are ingenious, and we've also had other events that have have given us new insights into how the universe is evolving and changing in the form of gravitational waves. That was the big finding of the last couple of years, wasn't it? And that also gives us the ability to probe what's happening elsewhere in the universe because these gravitational waves come rippling across space, and they do it at the speed of light. They arrive we read them and we can then interpret them and work out where they came from and what sorts of events must have caused them. So scientists are an ingenious bunch and they're finding new ways to see across the universe all the time. Terence in Terrefontaine, what is yours? Good morning, Eusebius and Chris. My, my wife and, and I would eat the same food during the day. I mean, I wouldn't say I would know exactly what my wife eats while I'm not with her, but we generally <laughs> eat the same food. However, when it comes to flatulence, the odor would be different. Um, Who is worse? Is it you? Uh, Definitely. (laughs) Definitely me, yes. Okay, so what is your question? Why your bodies react differently to the same food? Well, yeah, why would the flatulence um, odor be different? Yeah, if we're eating the same food. Thank you, Terence. Chris? This this program always seems to get into this territory uh, at some point in the week, doesn't it? Hello, Terence, uh, and, and I sympathise with your wife. And in fact, I might refer you to a recent episode of The Naked Scientist where someone phoned in and said, how do I get a fart out of a car? Uh, and we actually explored the physics of venting fart gas from cars and talked about relative densities of gases and pressure differentials uh, in a moving car. So if, if uh, this is where this is occurring, you might want to refer after this programme to that programme on our website to find out the answer. The reason that people produce their own unique NIFs is because the source of the gas in your intestines is the microbiome, the community of bugs that live there. There are billions, trillions of them. In fact, they outnumber the cells in your body. There are probably twice as many microbes living in your guts in terms of microbial cells as there are cells in your entire body. And those microbes all have their own metabolic processes and they eat what you eat. So when you eat your food, you think you're digesting it. In fact, you're liberating some of the calories from it. But what you're also doing is you're liberating a lot of stuff that you yourself cannot digest and you are feeding that as a raw material to your microbes and those microbes that have their own metabolic knives and forks, they chomp away at what you can't digest and and absorb and they then metabolize it. One of the products of microbial digestion are gases and everybody produces a couple of litres of fart gas, flatulence, every single day. But added to that will be the other metabolic abilities of the bacteria. And the things we eat include a lot of vegetables that have sulphur in them. And sulphur is uh, smelly. And so the bugs in your gut will turn that sulphur into things like sulphur dioxide, but also hydrogen sulphide and other derivatives of, of sulphurous gases including one called methylmercaptan, which is the same stuff that skunks um, spray out. And you know what that smells like, or if you're unlucky enough to have had the pleasure that you won't go near a skunk again. Now, everybody's microbe spectrum is different. And because we all have different microbial makeups, because we're all genetically different and we therefore select for a population of microbes in us that's unique to us, a bit like our fingerprint, the 
combination of gases and the way in which those microbes eat your dinner for you will differ between individuals and therefore the smell of what comes out the back end will differ from one person to the next and it will also differ with whether you're healthy or unwell and in fact scientists have also come up with ways to sniff what comes out the back end and infer certain things and characteristics about a person including whether they're infected with certain things or whether they may even have bowel cancer. Let's take a question from Twitter, Chris. Yes, one from someone called Mark. Mark wants to know from you, Chris, can people who are born blind dream? Yes, and they do it all the time. And the dream experience differs between whether a person is born blind, like Mark, or whether they are an acquired blinded person. They go blind later in life. A very good friend of mine who's unfortunately now died uh, told me when I was little, he said, I love going to sleep. And all my friends who could see when they were little love going to sleep because they can see again. Because when you go to sleep and you dream, the parts of the brain that decode your active awake experience, they are disconnected from all your senses and they start to work autonomously and they start to generate their own activity. And when we're dreaming, we're experiencing those ramblings and and thoughts being generated in those brain areas. So a person who is blind and has gone blind later in life still has all their visual memories and they can recreate them. A person who started life blind won't have any visual memories, but they will, of course, have other experiential memories. They'll have things like touch, sound, feelings, emotions. And for those reasons people will experience when they dream. And everyone who's listening to this who has been blind since birth will will be shouting at the radio going, yes, of course I dream. Everybody dreams. And and it's words and thoughts and emotions, exactly the same thing that you and I would experience in terms of visual imagery, but but without the pictures. Let's go to Park Town, Robert. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. The modern construction brick. What is the prescription to its exact size? How did it evolve historically, but more specifically scientifically, in its present form? Was it based on the ease of, 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 of workmen that we're working with? Was it a scientific? Because with the, all the benefits of modern computers and, and, and the information and data that we have available, it seems to me this con- current construction brick has been going on for I don't know how many <laughs> hundred years or longer. Lovely question, Chris. It is What a terrific question. Really thought-provoking. I'll start by saying I don't know the answer, so I'm going to speculate. And if anybody who uh, is a brickologist out there and knows the, the correct answer, if I get this wrong, or even if, I, even if they want to tell us anyway so I know to update my knowledge, um, do, do get in touch. I think there's a range of reasons why this will be the case, and they will range from practical human reasons to mechanical reasons. I think the practical human reason is that a human hand is roughly the right size to get hold of a brick, manipulate a brick, and uh, work a brick into the right position, and also make a brick. So I think that's part of it. It's driven by our need to build with this material, and historically we did all of that by hand, and therefore there will be a strong human element to it. Second, I think there's a material science element to this. Bricks which are too long are going to be hard to manipulate. They're also not going to distribute the load in a graduated way, so they're more likely to crack and break. I think that's part of it, and that's partly driven by the material that they're made from, which is going to select for 
the, the mass of the brick and also how it distributes load and so on. So I think there's a range of factors. The human element is going to be an important one, but the mechanical and material science element is also another, which is getting something which is the right size to be workable, make buildings easily and make shapes of buildings easily, and, and also distribute load in a, gradate, in a graded way rather than focusing force in one particular position along the, the building element, which might lead to it cracking. That's my speculation. If anybody knows different, please do tell us. Okay, uh, let's go to Paul. Thanks for holding on, Paul. Go ahead. Hi. Um, my question is, um, my son posed a question to me, which I had no idea how to answer. He asked me, what, how would I explain infinity? Was the question, how do I explain infinity? I think, I think that's what to you were saying. seven-year-old. Yeah, how would you... To a seven-year-old, how would I explain infinity? Uh, it's a difficult one, and seven-year-olds always ask hard questions, in my experience. But uh, um, one way I heard of uh, of this, um, Heinz Wolf, who was professor at uh, Brunel University, died recently, unfortunately. He was behind great TV programmes like The Great Egg Race and things like that. But he was interviewed by someone once and asked, what is infinity? And he said, well, you think of the biggest number you can, and then you add one to it. And then you add another one to it. And it doesn't matter what number you think of, you can always add one more on the end. And so numbers just keep getting bigger. And you can extrapolate the numbers to anything you want in the universe. You could have, uh, if, if, I, if I start going around a circle and I start in one place and I go around to where I started and then keep going, I'll never reach the end because I'll continually be going. It's like adding one on the end of the numbers. That's one way I would think about it. And that's how I've explained it to my kids. Okay, Andrew, good morning to you. What is your question? Hello? Go ahead, Andrew. What's your question? Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, 702. <clears throat> it's about the Big Bang theory. And uh, according to this theory, everything started from one center point. And uh, this happened 13 something billion years ago. And I resemble it like an explosion of a hand grenade, and every sharp nail goes away from each other at great speed. And uh, the Big Bang theory, it goes even with a higher speed, like uh, 100 miles per second going away from each other. Now, the speed is so great and the distance must be also so great from each other. Now, they say now the Andromeda galaxy is going to collide with our galaxy in four something billion years. Why does this happen if everything goes away from each other? Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, thank you, Andrew. The reason for this is that, uh, you're quite right, about 13.8 billion years ago, the universe started life. And it started life as one point source of enormous energy and low mass. The Big Bang occurred via whatever mechanism, and energy was converted into mass. Material and matter were made and formed and condensed out. The first stars formed from those stars. Planets uh, were formed from the material which was made in those stars. And the universe has been growing ever since. But as it grows, just because it's growing bigger doesn't mean that there aren't elements in the growing 
material which aren't moving towards each other because the material was given energy, given a kick and a push, and it's jostling around. As, it, as the universe grows, the material is moving, has random movement, and as it gains more material, it gains the movement of the stuff that added to it. That's conservation of angular momentum, for example. And because all these things are moving, it is inevitable that, by chance, some things will be moving towards each other. In the course of things getting bigger, it doesn't mean at the local level, and by local I mean as in Andromeda's about two and a half million light years away, it's quite close really, um, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean that things locally can't be moving a bit closer because in the grand scheme of things everything is is getting bigger the universe is is inflating and growing and as it grows it grows faster Tabo, good morning to you morning gentlemen uh, chris because i hear that when astronauts spend more time at the space station they grow a few centimeters long my question is can weightlessness be for a be- for a lack of a better word can weightlessness be a cure to dwarfism and listen over the radio. Hi, Tabo. Well, actually, uh, not really, because humans have evolved to exist on Earth, not in space. And we depend on gravity to keep us healthy. And when people go into space, in fact, it's really bad for them. And uh, NASA have been looking at this ever since they first started putting humans into space because it's a big concern. People's bones age very rapidly in space because the mere fact that you're walking around doing work against gravity and loading your bones with gravitational force is a strong stimulus for them to grow and remain strong. And when a person goes into space, very quickly their bones begin to age. And astronauts that have been in space for a very long time, if they don't continue to stimulate their bones and exercise and and deliver shocks up their long bones, the bones become osteoporotic, like a very old person. So a dwarf person would not be benefited by going into space for any period of time because their bones would weaken and in fact they probably then suffer osteoporotic fractures if they had osteoporosis and this would make them smaller, not taller. So in the short term, yeah, they might stretch a little tiny bit in space but it would be inconsequential up against the huge health cost of being in space for any great period of time. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, We'll do it again next week. Thanks very much, Eusebius. Thanks for the questions, everyone, and see you soon. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.